So take your Bibles and open to John chapter 20. Um, John chapter 20, as we continue our sermon series on foundations of faith, we're nearing the end. I think this will be the last sermon in this series. And so we've been studying for the last a month or two, probably two months, about the importance of regular spiritual habits in our lives. And we've limited those spiritual habits to those that we see particularly in the life of Jesus. So our goal, I say this every week, our goal is to live as Jesus lived and to practice the spiritual habits that were the driving force of his life and ministry. We are Jesus' disciples. He is Lord. He is Master. And we are his followers. So we should desire to live as Jesus lived in his relationship to the Father and to others. Now this morning, we'll be looking at the spiritual habit of sharing the gospel. The spiritual habit of sharing the gospel with others. So we call this, you know, the old, the old term word for this is evangelism. It is sharing the gospel with others. All right, so evangelism, let me kind of tell you what that is. Evangelism, simply put, is sharing the gospel with other people. Communicating the good news with others. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which just means good news. That's what the word means. The gospel means good news. So what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus died for us even though we're sinners. I used to teach this to my children. We sit around the dinner table and I would say, what does gospel mean? And our kids would respond, good news. And I'd say, what is the good news? Even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. And I'd say, what's that called? And they'd say, the gospel. And I'd say, what does that mean? good news. What does the good news mean? Even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. What's that called? The gospel. What's that mean? Good news. What is the good news? Even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. If you can teach this to four-year-olds, you can teach this to anyone. The gospel is the good news that even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. It is not difficult news. It is good news. It's not bad news, it's good news. And so, Paul, Paul describes the gospel this way. I just want you to hear the simplicity of it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, all right? In which you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the gospel which you received. And he says this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance, in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel. And then he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So that is the gospel message. Christ died for our sins so that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life in his name. It's very simple. So what I want to do today, as we've done in this series, is to show how Jesus practiced this habit throughout his life and ministry as our example. And he has commanded us as his people to follow his example. So as we begin... I want us to think about this in light of other spiritual disciplines. Think about this with me. 
If Jesus told us one time to study and know God's Word, that would be enough. And we would have to take it seriously and do it. If Jesus told us to pray one time, that would be enough for us to be serious about prayer and to spend time praying. If Jesus told us to serve one another one time, that would be enough for us to take it seriously and obey. But what if Jesus said more than anything else to share the gospel with others who were in desperate need of it? What, would, what should we do with that? What should we do with that? So let's look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, and we're going to take a journey through Jesus' life together. This is after the resurrection, so this is after Paul says, you know, Jesus died according to our scriptures, he was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures. This is John 20, beginning of verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is Resurrection Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They're afraid because they killed Jesus. If they'll kill the master, they'll kill you too. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I have just a few simple points and a whole bunch of pages. Buckle up, buttercup, here we go. Number one, Jesus came to share the gospel with others. What we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus came to share the gospel with others. Like every other spiritual discipline we've studied, Jesus is our example. I'll remind you of what Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry in Capernaum when he goes into the synagogue and he takes up the scroll of Isaiah. He reads this in their presence at the very beginning of his ministry after he has been baptized and gone into, into the wilderness to temptation. And now he begins his public ministry. He says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, sorry, in Nazareth, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's favor. And he says, he, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus begins his ministry saying, I have come to fulfill God's word by preaching the gospel sharing the gospel with others. If you were to go to Mark's gospel, Mark begins this way in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. This is the message Jesus preached all over the kingdom of God is at hand, 
repent and believe the gospel. So, Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God is at hand because God's king is at hand. Jesus is king. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one with the gospel to proclaim. And then just a few verses later in Mark chapter 1, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place to pray. And it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, listen to this, Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. The main mission of Jesus, this was part of the main mission of his ministry, to fulfill his mission by preaching the gospel and then going to Calvary to finish the gospel. This is what Jesus did in his ministry. He shared the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, the Messiah is at hand, he preaches the gospel. That's the first point of my argument. Jesus came to do this. He's not asking us to do something that he himself did not do. Second, Jesus, secondly, expects his disciples to follow his example of sharing the gospel. Now, we see this in several places in the New Testament. Let me begin in the first place. We see this first in the very calling of Jesus' first disciples. So if you're there in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus has been baptized, he's gone into the wilderness to be tempted, he opens up the scroll and reads it, and then he begins his public ministry in Galilee, walking around the sea, calling his first disciples. This is what Jesus says. It says, now, it says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So the very first thing Jesus says in the calling of his disciples is, I'm going to give you a, a job, I'm going to give you a mission, and you are going to become fishers of men. And it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus expects his disciples to follow his model and his ministry of gospel sharing. But secondly... We see this in the fact that Jesus, as his disciples walk with him, you know what he does with them? He sends them out two by two to all of the surrounding towns and villages to do something. He sends them to share the gospel. Listen to Luke chapter 9. Jesus sends his disciples out to do the very things that he's been doing. It says this in Luke 9. It says that he called the twelve together. That's the disciples. He's promised to make them fishers of men. And he says he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay, so they have a job to do. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there Stay there and from there depart. And, what, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And listen to this. The disciples obey. It says, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel 
and healing everywhere. So Jesus fulfills his promise. When Jesus sends us to share the gospel, you need to take note of this. He's not telling you to do something that he himself did not do. He's not doing something he himself did not promise to make you. Nor, did he not, nor is he doing something he did not by example, by example, by in, uh, do by in the example of sending his own disciples. He sends his disciples to share the gospel with the towns around him. So the disciples preach the same gospel Jesus is preaching. They're doing the same works that Jesus is doing. And they do this because of the explicit command and expectation of Jesus. This is to be part of their spiritual habits, part of their daily spiritual duties. Just as they read the Bible, they study the Bible, they pray, they love one another, they worship, they serve one another, they give of their time, talents, and treasures. In the same way, you know what else they give? They give the gospel open-handed to those around them. So Jesus expects his disciples to follow his example of gospel sharing. And I know what you're saying right now, yeah, but that was those guys. That's not us. That's point number three. Jesus continues to send us to share the gospel. He continues. It didn't stop with the first 12. By the way, he sends 70 out just a few chapters after that. So the number got bigger. Okay? So, Jesus continues to send us to share the gospel. Jesus didn't just send those disciples then, though he did. Nor did Jesus just send Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus that we read about in the rest of the letters of the New Testament. Nor did he just send early church fathers like Eusebius and Polycarp and Clement. Jesus didn't just send special folks in church history like Athanasius and Martin Luther and John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon or D.L. Moody or Billy Graham. God did set them apart for certain missions. But that does not excuse us from the mission for which Jesus has also sent us. Jesus continues to send all of us. Let me repeat that for the folks that are hard of hearing in the back. Jesus continues to send all of usins. It's a good Mississippi word. Usins. That's the plural of us. Which is funny because us is plural. That's the extra plural of us. Jesus continues to send all of us, all of us today to share the gospel with those around us. And this is why, listen, this is where we have to understand that Jesus is so serious about this that this is his last command to his disciples before he ascends to the Father. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are four gospels. And all four of them end with a commission to the disciples to go share Jesus and make other disciples. Listen to Matthew, how Matthew ends. I'll do all four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 28 says this. Now the eleven went, disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is after the resurrection. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples. Go preach the gospel and make disciples. Go share Jesus and make disciples. Mark, 
Matthew, Mark. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. I like Mark. Mark is shorter and to the point. But he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke says it this way. Jesus says this himself in Luke. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Go proclaim the gospel everywhere. And then John says this. We just read it in John. Jesus says to them, he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus continues to send us to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if we don't go to the ends of the earth, you better believe you're expected to go across the street and to your friends and neighbors and co-workers. Now, number four, finally. This looks like it's going to be a short sermon. That's where you're wrong. Number four, Jesus empowers his disciples for sharing the gospel through the Holy Spirit. This is where I want to spend some time. Jesus empowers his disciples for sharing the gospel through the Holy Spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit was given to us. Now, let me just make a few points here. The Holy Spirit has an essential role in the life of the believer. Amen? Think of all of the blessings that we enjoy because of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God who seals us for the day of redemption. It is the Holy Spirit who indwells us as the deposit of our future inheritance when we believe in Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us a new heart and a new nature and who convicts us of sin and of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit, and, and I, I, this is to, as I get older, this is the one that really stands out to me, but it, it is the Holy Spirit who comforts us and counsels us day by day. It is the Holy Spirit who mediates God's very presence to us. It is the Holy Spirit who prompts us to pray and who gives us holy desires to honor and obey Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who prays for us when we're too weak to pray for ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word of God for us as we read and study to give us the mind of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who produces in us the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, and to yield to the Spirit. We're even warned, by the way, in the Bible against grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit. Churches are to walk together in the Spirit in the bond of peace. All of those are incredible blessings and encouragements. Amen? This is how we daily walk with Jesus by His Spirit. But at the same time, at the same time, it is the specific role of the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to share the gospel with others. 
You cannot divide the Holy Spirit and say, I need him for one of those things and not for the others. You cannot divide out the Holy Spirit and say that I'm, I'm not going to allow him to produce that kind of desire and love for the eternal well-beings of others in my life. I just want to say this. When you read through the book of Acts, it says a dozen times somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And do you know what happens every time somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit in the, in the book of Acts? The very next sentence says they're sharing Jesus with somebody. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God is to be filled to the point that Jesus overflows out of us. It can't stay in us. It can't contain it. Now, there is a dangerous thought that I want to just address right here. There's a dangerous thought involving our willingness or unwillingness to share Christ with others. Some dangerously think like this. They think this. I don't want to do what Jesus has told me to do. And so I'm not going to. And I don't believe that will negatively impact my spiritual life or grieve God's spirit. That is a dangerous thought. It is the Holy Spirit who does all of those things in our life. So if he's going to comfort us and counsel us, he's going to dwell us, He's going to fill us. He's going to empower us. It is for Christ's mission. It is for the purpose of accomplishing the mission. Listen to what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. This is, let's connect what Jesus says to what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. This is Luke 24. Jesus said this to them. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Right? We've just read this. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Very next line. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You're going to preach the gospel to all creation. And I'm going to send you the Spirit to do it. Or John Look at John 20, our text for today. It says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then it says, He breathed on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who came upon Jesus to send Him on His mission. It's the Holy Spirit who comes upon disciples to empower them and send them on their mission. And what does Acts 1 say? It's the day of Pentecost and it says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the role of the Spirit. So Jesus is our example. Jesus preached the gospel in his ministry. He called his disciples to preach the gospel after him. He continues to send us today to preach the gospel and he sent us his Spirit for this explicit purpose. Now, spiritual habits, again, let me wrap this up. Spiritual habits are what cause us to grow in Christ. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. This is why we meditate on the Scriptures. This is why we serve one another. This is why we steward what God has given us. This is why we serve one another in love. And this is why we share the Gospel. We share the Gospel because it affects our spiritual growth. Reading my Bible changes me. Amen? It does. A church that reads their Bible, it changes that church. Reading the Bible changes me. Prayer changes me. Worship changes me. But worship is also a public witness to the power of the gospel. 
Serving others changes me and is also a witness to the gospel. Evangelism, though, is different. Sharing Christ with others is different. It changes me because as I share the gospel, it also changes the eternal destiny of others. Just think about that. This spiritual habit changes the eternal destiny of others. As we share the gospel, eternity hangs in the battle. It hangs in the balance. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. I've thought these same things. Some of you go, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. Well, nobody does. Because evangelism is not a gift. The Bible never says that. The Bible says there's an office of an evangelist. Well, yeah, you're not, you're not an evangelist. Got it. You're not a pastor either. That's another office. You're not a deacon. You can't use those things as excuses. Evangelism is not a gift. I get it. Sharing the gospel isn't a spiritual gift. It's a command. Or maybe you think, I should leave it to the professionals. I'm not as polished as you, Jacob, or I don't know as much as you. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Are you saying that God can't use you to affect others? Paul said he didn't, it wasn't about the wisdom or eloquence of his words. He said it is the, it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. It's in, the, it's in the simplicity of the message that's shared. Or you might go, well, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able to share the gospel. I don't know how to do it. Well, I would say spiritual disciplines are, are spiritual exercises to get us into spiritual shape. So those of us that struggle to share the, those of us who struggle most to share the gospel are those who never exercise it. Just like those who don't do, can't do a push-up are those who don't try to do push-ups. You figure it out as you go, right? Or some of you will go, well, I'm ashamed of what I've done. You don't know who I am and what I've done. I'll tell you a story about this man that Jesus saved. He lived among tombs across the Sea of Galilee. He was a demoniac, had, had thousands of demons in him. He wrenched chains apart and terrified people and scared everybody in the villages. He was out of his mind. And Jesus comes, casts out the demons, they rush in the pigs and go down the bank. And this man is clothed in his right mind, sitting before Jesus. And all the town folk come and look at him, and they are terrified. They're terrified of this man, Jesus, that has this kind of power to destroy all these pigs and make this man right. And they're terrified, and they beg Jesus to leave. So Jesus, they beg Jesus to leave. Well, as they're begging Jesus to leave, this demoniac, who has now been healed and forgiven and is now one of Christ's disciples, he begs Jesus to go on Christ's mission. He's like, Jesus, let me go with you. I'll go with your disciples. I'll follow you everywhere. He wants to be with Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to him? No, you can't come with me. He says, you go back to your hometown where everybody knows who you are. And you tell them how much mercy, Jesus, how much mercy I've had on you. He says, you go share your testimony. You just go tell them what I've done for you. And that'll be enough. That'll be enough. You are a living testimony of the power of the gospel to change lives. So what I will say is, if you say you're not able or you're ashamed of what you've done, I'll say, just go figure it out. You'll figure out how to share the gospel. The more you exercise this muscle, the more you'll learn to do it and the more confidence you'll have. But it'll never happen if you don't do it. Now let me tell you how you should do it. I'll give you three very quick steps. If you want to be effective at evangelism, then first, just be open to new relationships. Just be open, look for, other, look for people you don't know, be kind, be friendly, and get to know people that you might not know. Do it at football games, do it at basketball games, do it at the gym, 
do it at social gatherings. Just look for people that aren't in your normal friend group and go talk to them. Be friendly. Early on in the conversation, just identify yourself as a Christian. When they go, hey, what do you love to do? Say, well, I spend most weekends with my kids. I go to sporting events. On Sunday, I go to church um, so I can worship. Just identify yourself as a Christian very early on. Then it won't be awkward later on when you start talking about Jesus. I told you I was a Christian. What do you think a Christian's going to do? I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's what I do. And then second, so not only look for, look, uh, be open to new relationships, second, just prayerfully share the gospel. Tell them your testimony, how you grew up, how you, why, why church matters to you. Just prayerfully share the gospel with them over time. You don't have to do it in once. You don't have to do all of it at once. Just do it in steps. And then three, invite them to your church community. I don't care what order you do that in. Invite them to church, then invest in the relationship, then, uh, then share Jesus. But all three of those things need to happen. You need to, you need to do all three of those things. Evangelism, simply put, is ordinary people doing ordinary things with the intention of sharing the gospel. That's what it is. Ordinary people. Who's an ordinary person? I'll excuse some of you from that because some of you are weird. All right? Just an ordinary person doing ordinary things, just seeking to share the gospel. Right? That's all it is. Now, one of my favorite pastors and preachers in all of church history is Charles Spurgeon. He preached with fervor on the necessity of Christians sharing the gospel. And I want to just give you a few snippets because he can say things a lot better than I can. Let me just give you a few quotes from Charles Spurgeon about ordinary people sharing the gospel and how this changed everything about London when he was preaching. He says, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at white heat, it is concerning sharing the gospel. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is a matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. He says, to be a soul winner, second, second quote, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus, you get to see new heaven upon the earth. Some of you want to see our culture change. You don't change your culture by voting. You change your culture by sharing Jesus. That's how we change the culture. Listen to what he says. He says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, begging them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not let one go there unwarned and unprayed for. He says this, We're not called to proclaim philosophy and metaphysics, but a simple gospel. Man's fall, his need for a new birth, forgiveness through Christ's death, and salvation as the result of faith. He says, these are our battle axe and weapons of war. And he says this, God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. I'll give you two more. He says, we must school and train ourselves to deal personally with the unconverted. We must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to the irksome task until it becomes easy. He says, you labor at it and toil at it until sharing the gospel is second nature. And then, he says this, do you want arguments for soul winning? 
Look up to heaven and ask yourself how sinners can ever reach those harps of gold and learn their everlasting song unless someone has told them of Jesus. He says, but the best argument of all is to be found in the wounds of Jesus. You want to honor him? You desire to put many crowns upon his head? And, and this you can, you can best do by winning souls. These are the spoils that he covets. These are the trophies for which he fights. These are the jewels that shall be his best adornment. And then finally he says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, we don't share Jesus because we feel adequate or up to the task. You never will. Not once have I ever felt up to the task of sharing the gospel with someone else. We don't share Jesus because we have great intellects or speaking abilities. Not many wise are called. It is through the simple message of that, that is sp spoken that people believe. And third, we share Jesus for this reason alone. Hear me. We share Jesus with others because he is worth sharing with every man, woman, boy, and girl on earth. He is that good. He is that glorious. He is that gracious. He is that great. If you get your soul happy in Jesus, you will find a way to share him with others. I have never known someone who regularly seeks to share Christ with others who is not a growing, humble, joyful believer. It is good for your soul to seek the souls of others. Will you pray with me as we have a time of invitation this morning? Father, I ask this morning that you would convict, convince us of the truth of your word. And you would convict us of our sometimes lackadaisical fervor for the gospel going to those who desperately need it. Father, may, our, may in our own minds and our own hearts, may we know and understand, Lord, what hangs in the balance. That those lost apart from Jesus are going to spend eternity separated from him. And it is only by your grace that we have been saved. And so, Father, may we, with gracious tongues and gracious lips, extend the gospel of grace to those around us. Not in judgment, not in condescension, but in compassion, pleading with others to come to Christ so that they can experience the joy and the love and the hope that we also have. So, Father, we pray now that you would speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name.